I have a, I have a sister, a younger sister, um, and I only have only have one brother and I have one sister. Now, uh, you know, as an older brother, you tend to, you know, growing up, you tend to want to protect. As you get older, you want to protect your younger sister. You know, so I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to. I'm, I'm working on my my son. He's actually the younger brother, and I'm working on him. Try to teach him to to have that same attitude toward his sister, even though she's older. Well, I had a sister. I mean, I have a sister, and and this is a long time ago, many years ago, but she got married. She fell in love. Met this guy, and. She picked him out. She didn't let me or my parents pick him out. She picked him out. Or they picked each other out. I don't know. However you want to look at it. I saw an old uh, plaque on a wall somewhere that said, uh, a man chases a woman until she catches him. So anyway, she caught him. And it was that kind of love. It was that puppy love. I mean, maybe you can identify with this. When you first meet that one... In every waking moment, you want to be with them. And woe to he who dares get in between you and your time with that person, right? Everything that, get, everything that comes up in your schedule that's, that's going to knock out some time with your sweetheart, it's, they're, it's, they're doing it on purpose. It's malicious. They're trying to keep us apart, you know. They just wanna, they wanted to spend every waking moment together. And it was, it was really cool. It's, really, it's fun to see that. It's fun to watch it. I mean, I, I did the same thing. And, and Rebecca and I, were, we already knew each other at that time. And, and we, were, we, were, we had kind of gone through that phase. We, we still loved being with each other. But there's a, boy, at first, man, it's like you just cannot be separated from this person. And it was like that. And, they, and then they got married. He asked her to marry him. And then, very soon after, um, they have a son. And so now they're a little family. A little family with a, with a little boy. And they lived in a little house. Now, I, I mean, it wasn't, a, it wasn't anything fancy. It was up in North Lubbock, West Texas town. Kind of north of town, so the airplanes would go over, whoosh, you know, all the time. And the, that huge international airport they have there in Lubbock, Texas. And, and it, but, it, but it was a family, and they were there, and she seemed happy. Now, I want to say something about that, because she did seem happy, and things seemed well. They seemed, they seemed good. <laughs> and, but here's the thing. Things aren't always what they seem. Now, I... I'm stopping here. It kind of seems like a weird thing to say, but as as I'm as I'm looking out and and we're here in this setting, it is a beautiful time. It is a it is a gift for us to get to gather together and like this in church on Sunday morning. But isn't it funny how everything seems fine on Sunday morning, doesn't it? With everybody, I mean, you're shaking hands with people. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. I even I do it too. I, to, I talked to a few people this morning, and when they asked me how I was doing, I didn't tell them about how I was sick yesterday and, and uh, didn't feel well, and, and now I'm feeling better. I was like, I'm good, I'm fine. Everything's fine on Sunday morning. So we like to go around and we just we kind of have the smile. And the smiling's great. Like Chase said this morning, he has nothing against goofy smiles. I don't know if he thinks mine is goofy or not, but... <laughs> 
it's, it's, it, that's a good thing. It's not bad. The only thing is, things seem fine, but things aren't always fine. And so you won't know until you get to know people and until you start asking questions. So if you really want to know how someone's doing, you're going to have to be kind of creative with your questions. Uh, there are people like me. Um, now, some people are, are more extroverted, so they'll just tell you everything uh, immediately, you know, tell you all kinds of things. But people like me are more likely to not say it anything unless it's asked of me. Because I don't feel compelled to just tell people things. I'm like, well, they'll figure it out. Or they won't know, and that's okay. And so sometimes, a lot of people are that way. You really have to ask questions. Well, we made a lot of assumptions. Things were going fine. She seemed happy. Things seemed good. Uh, But they actually weren't good. It it became clear to some of us in, in our family that he was doing, he was doing some drugs. And it was at least a problem. We didn't know how deep and how uh, debilitating the problem was. But it became clear he was doing it. It was keeping him, it began to keep him from, from working regularly. So uh, he couldn't keep his job. And so pretty soon he just didn't have one, um, which makes it hard to pay your bills, makes it hard to take care of a family, makes it hard to buy food, clothes, as you can imagine. I wasn't taking care of the house. This was one of the telltale signs. I remember going out and visiting, the, uh, you know, and, and, and walking in the house and and. and I'm not. I'm not talking about the the house itself. I'm just talking about the way it was taken care. Of. You know that there's something wrong when you look up at the air conditioning unit that's coming in through the ceiling, and you can see stars. That's not how refrigerated air works. You know, I mean, it's kind of got to be sealed up a little bit. You know, and it it just seemed clear that he just wasn't able to get up and do things. Things were just getting run down. And then, it got got worse. Things started missing from around the house. Things that don't normally go come up missing. You know, like a microwave. Hey honey, have you seen the microwave? No. Those don't usually, you don't lose those types of things. Stereos. Uh, you know, valuable things. But then, even some things that you wouldn't think are valuable, turns out I guess they are, things like sheets off the bed. Bedding, pillows, things, just things, just missing, don't come up missing in the house. Unexplainable. I don't know. I don't know what happened. What's... And then, I remember... I remember that day when I heard that when my sister and her husband were out of town on vacation, their house was burglarized. Someone had broken into their house, stolen some more things, TVs, stuff like that, jewelry, things. Turns out, 
the person who burglarized the house was actually the brother of my sister's husband. So it was set up. We'll go out of town on vacation. He was real gung-ho about it. We gotta go, we gotta go. And while they were gone, he went in, burglarized the house, took stuff. Sold it, I guess. Now, I want to ask you, as you're hearing this story, what's going on in your emotions? I mean, are, are you feeling anything? It, are you imagining maybe yourself in that position, in his position, in her position, or in, in mine, and my brothers and my family? I mean, is it, is it pricking anything, you know, in your heart? Has anyone ever hurt your flesh and blood? I mean, your. This is this is not. This is your your own flesh and blood. This is your your brother, your sister, your your husband, your wife, your your mom or dad, your your child. Has anyone ever hurt someone like that of yours? Abused them. Uh, I don't know. Stolen from them broken their heart I want you to think about that now this is what Nehemiah says he said now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers so this is even this is why this is, this is one of the reasons it's so hurtful here and why there's such an outcry is it is their own flesh and blood because now in, in verse 5 it says, Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, and our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. Think about that. I can't even imagine that. My daughter being enslaved, and I can't do anything about it? Yeah, there'd be an outcry. But it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. See, if you're having a hard time tuning in, I mean, to the importance of this part of Nehemiah, because we've got, we've started, I mean, Nehemiah has these, these, has these sections, you know, of it. If you're having trouble tuning in to this, then I want you, during this time, I want you to get in touch with that time you were thinking of a minute ago when I asked you, has anyone ever hurt your flesh and blood? Has anyone ever hurt your family? And how did it feel? I want you to remember the feelings. Now, I'm not saying drift back into unforgiveness if you've had to forgive. But I still want you to think about how you felt. Because we're going to need that as we're going through this. Because this whole section of Nehemiah might seem like a distraction. Because this kind of comes up in a weird place. I mean, they're building. They're fighting off of, you know, their enemies while they're building. Uh, or the, the, you know, the opposition to the wall is happening and they're having to fight it off. And then all of a sudden, there was a great outcry. <laughs> it seems like a distraction, doesn't it? Like, what? Why now? We need to get back to work building that wall. We'll deal with this later. Yeah, yeah, quit whining, oppression. We've been doing this for years and years and years. See, it, 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 it had been building and building and building. And people had just gotten used to it. See, that even happened to me a little bit. 
in my family, we were seeing what was happening. It was gradual, and we were getting used to it. It's just part of everyday life. But it shouldn't have been, because they knew that God had told them they were not to do that with each other. They were not to exact interest, exorbitant interest from each other. They were not to do that. They were not to commit usury like that. But they were used to doing it. They'd been doing it for a long time. See, this is a problem with, uh, I don't know a better term than just Christian culture in America today. That doesn't mean everybody, every church, but in general, this is, this is a little bit of a problem. So you see things happening all around us, and we see, we just think that's a distraction. Oh, that's a, that's, that's something that um, I can't be, I can't let that distract me. I got to build this wall. See, that's what, and they're good things like community. We're building community. We got to, we got to keep doing that. I know this is happening over here, but, and, and it's a terrible injustice and it's, and it's, and this person's in need or this people, these people are in need and, 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 and they're crying out. But I've got, we're, we're busy building community right now. We're busy preaching the gospel. We've got to make sure we have a venue like this so, so that we can preach the gospel. It's true. I mean, we, we need to do that. Uh, I'm busy growing in, in, in knowledge. We're studying. We're learning. We're, we're growing in our faith. And so these other things can sometimes seem like a distraction. And it seems that that, that really happens a lot. And so then what happens is it becomes a situation where um, like the, you know, the, the Israelites who ha, were in Jerusalem, they had kind of gained over time, over a lot of time, a, a reputation for, for not being, for being rebellious, for being uh, a people that they didn't really want there. And that's not what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be the church in Knoxville, and Knoxville's supposed to be better, a better place to be in because we're here. That's, that's supposed to be true of, of us. It's supposed to be true of the church. Now, it doesn't just mean Knoxville's supposed to be better like we're supposed to be better in and of ourselves. That, that's true, too. I mean, we grow together and in community. But Knoxville, the whole place, the whole city, is supposed to be better that we're here because we're here. And that's what, that's what happens here. That's when the outcry comes. That's why Nehemiah responds. Now, when I heard of the, of the fake burglary, you know, the stage burglary, <laughs> the sheets, the microwave, all this stuff was starting to call me the stereos. I saw the condition of the house. I started seeing my sister's countenance fall. Things weren't looking good. I got mad. I got angry. A side of me that I didn't know was there started rising up. I didn't know it was there. It, it kind of surprised me. It kind of scared me. Because I wanted to hurt somebody. I was mad. I was angry. Nehemiah 6 says, he says, I was very angry. Isn't that cool? I was very angry. He wasn't just angry. He was very angry. When I heard their outcry and these words, I took counsel with myself. He had to like sit down and say, okay, hold on, I'm really mad here. I'm going to hurt somebody. 
he took counsel with himself. And I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you're exacting interest from each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. Now, uh, it, you may think that I'm uh, comparing myself to Nehemiah, and I am. No. Uh, only in the way that we're both human beings and we're sinners. But uh, in a moment, I will, I will destroy that rosy picture you have of me. Uh, so, just hang on. Um, <laughs> Now, here's, here's what happened. I was moved to action. Um, and if you know me very well, and, and my good friends who've known me a long time and, and who are getting to know me, probably can tell that I'm not really a man of fast, quick action. <laughs> More of a plotter. I like to plot. That's my favorite. That's my favorite scripture in Proverbs. You know, anybody. Anytime someone's trying to rush me, I'm like, "Yeah, but a wise man plods." I'm a plotter. Yeah. But I was moved to action. So I talked to my brother, also and not a confrontational person, and my stepdad at the time, also not a confrontational person. So here you have three guys who pretty much hate confrontation of any kind whatsoever. And I said, guys, we've got to do something about this. We've got to go. We've got to talk to this guy. And they're like, yes, I don't think that's a good idea. Here's why. I mean, man, the long list of 50 reasons why this is not a good idea. I said, we've got to go. We've got to do something. This is our family. Not just my sister, but her husband. That's our family. We're going to stand by and watch this and then be, because of that, an accomplice to it. So, talk to men to it. Now, uh, you can imagine, now this is West Texas, so we all got in a pickup. So all three, you can see all three of us sitting next to each other. The one in the middle always feels awkward, you know. So we're driving out, and I, I remember the silence. We had nothing to say to each other. <laughs> Just the silent puffing of cigarettes, because we all smoked at that time. So it got pretty smoky in there, because if you're a smoker, you know that when the more nervous you get, the more you smoke. So it was like a cloud of smoke in there. We, we pull up. I mean, we're, we're just, I can, you can just feel the chests tightening up. We're going to confront somebody about this? This is not going to be, uh-oh, I squeezed that bad. Make sure I didn't turn it off. I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. So anyway, we go in. We sit him down. I mean, he, he invites us in. He wonders why we're all three there. It's not looking pretty. I mean, my sister's nervous. She's like, what are you doing? So we got to talk. We sit him down. And the thing, I mean, this is how, this is what it's come to. He's sitting in front of us. Sounds, the guy is, is barely hanging on. I mean, could you see it in his eyes? I felt, and this is totally the Holy Spirit, by the way. I actually felt compassion for him. I mean, it really hurt to sit there and look at him. And I didn't have compassion at first. I was angry. I wanted to hurt him, maim him possibly kill him. But at that moment, I looked at him and I had compassion. He had a salad bowl. 
in his hand and his lap. And while he was so nervous that when we sat down, he knew we were going to talk to him about something. He was he had the little zigzags and he was rolling tobacco cigarettes, you know, because it would be cheaper. He couldn't afford cigarettes anymore. We all smoked back then. I don't. It's anyway. I finally quit. Rebecca wouldn't let me do it anymore, so I'm glad. And uh, he, he he was to that point. He wouldn't stop rolling the things while we're talking. I really felt compassion for him, and I know that was uh, God's hand softening my heart, massaging it. And we just tasked him to get a job, and we said. What you're doing is, is not right. I need you to stop, and we, we want you to stop the drugs. I mean, it was debilitating him. It was, it was crazy, you know. He was doing this methamphetamines, and he knew somebody who had a, who actually made them, manufactured them, and he had a connection somehow, and, and it was making it, he would be up for days, and then he would be asleep for days and he would be not good for anything during any of that time and he was he was a slave to that I said you need help I mean we want to see that happen we want to support you in that and we want this we want you to stop doing this it's hurting your wife it's hurting you it's hurting your son. So, you know, it was the grace of God that I didn't uh, sin in my anger. It really is. And it was, it was also the grace of God that I even overcame my fear to confront, to even do this. Because, you know, as I said, I don't do that. That's not how I roll. I'm more of a live and let live. Or as Paul McCartney and Axl Rose would say, live and let die. Which is really kind of sad because that's what I was willing to do. Live and let die. Do we practice that? I mean, do... I know we all do at some level, but... Are you thinking of some times when possibly you have that attitude of live and, and let, let die? You know, sometimes it's difficult to ask people tough questions because we're afraid of what the answers will be. Hey man, what's wrong? Why do you, why do you look so tired? Why do your eyes look like that? <laughs> I mean, what, what's going on? What happened with the job? You, know, you may not want the answer, you know? <laughs> But the thing is, some people are never going to tell you if you don't ask. The same way that Jesus pursued us when we did not ask, we have to pursue people, even if they don't ask. We get to do that. We get to take part in the, in, in the divine nature of Christ pursuing when people haven't asked. Now, that's not something we, I did. I totally dropped the ball on that. I waited till things had culminated into, a, into what had become the equivalent of a great outcry. And then I decided that we needed to do something. 
Now, I want to get back to something um, about what I said earlier about um, the church and, and the Christian culture and the things that are going on around us. I don't want you to think that what I'm saying is that we're going to be we're, we're going to be a church that only cares about injustices and meeting the needs of people who are in need. Because you see, in Nehemiah, when they got this thing taken care of, they went back to doing what they were doing. In fact, I would argue that in taking care of this, they never stopped doing what they were doing. Because that is part of what building the city within that city was about. Is that it would be a place where people are concerned about the needs of others. Outsiders and insiders. And that people are treating their own flesh and blood and their brothers and sisters in a way so that when the world looks in and sees, when the rest of Knoxville, when the city, not the rest of Knoxville, but the, the rest of Knoxville that, that are lost, they don't even know Jesus, look in and see, they see something that glorifies God. And that was what God had put in Nehemiah's heart to do. It wasn't just to build the wall so they have a wall and now we're cool and we're protected. It was God setting aside a people for Himself that would ultimately lead to Jesus coming. But that would bring glory, it would point to God. It would show this is what a people looks like when they honor God, when they love God, and when God has rescued them. So we're about that. But a huge part of that, that is so easy to ignore, is the part about seeing and responding with the heart of Jesus, with a soft, sensitive, pliable heart, to things that aren't right, things that aren't, that aren't going well, things that, that injustices, things that are just simply wrong. And they're right there in front of us. Now, uh, the picture of the gospel in this is, I mean, one thing we never think about, usually, when we're thinking about Nehemiah, is that, the, is that there's a big gospel message in this. There are, there are several ways to articulate the gospel with Nehemiah. One is that uh, the real hero here is not Nehemiah. Okay, So, I was not a hero because... I finally got around to responding to my sister in that, that situation. That didn't make me a hero at all. In fact, it, all that is is the grace of God. I mean, I have to thank Him for giving me a heart of flesh so that I would see that something had to be done. He put that in me. He put that in Nehemiah. See, Jesus is the real hero. And He took our injustice toward, toward each other, our injustices, our hate, our our sin toward each other, and the injustice that was served Him on the cross by us. I mean, what a gross injustice that was. And He took it. Why? So that we could be free. 
So none of this is about you know Nehemiah being a great hero, Kevin being a great hero. Well, it's not about legacy. We're going to be a bunch of heroes. No, we're not. <laughs> we're going to be a church, though, that seeks to take part in the divine nature of Christ so that He can change our hearts so that we can glorify Him by the things we do and the way we treat people. So, it, it, here in the coming weeks, you're going to be hearing from your community leaders. If, you, if, you, if you've gotten plugged in with a, a, a gospel community group or missional community group, you're going to start hearing some real tangible ways. Because we've really, man, we've been growing at, with each other in community. We've been taking steps toward um, discipleship. And we're going to continue doing that more and more intentionally. But we're also going to be very intentional about finding some ways in this city that we can meet needs. Just simple as that. That we can see something that's darkness and with the light of the Holy Spirit that's in us, with the, with the heart of Jesus, we can step into those places, make a change, this, and, and really act out the gospel, show it com- and as we're commending it. As we are speaking the gospel, they see they see it taking place as we're moving into action, as we're compelled to act, as our hearts are pricked by things that make us sad when we see it. And, and so your community leaders will be, you'll, you'll be hearing about that soon. Um, so I want to talk about uh, authentic Christian community again, since I'm already on the subject community. I already, we already talked about how here um, in this setting, there's only so far we go. Okay. So what really happens, the hard work really happens in communities when we're in, uh, people are living life. I don't mean we're all living in the same house together like a big commune, but I mean <laughs> we're living life together. We're aware of what's going on in each other's lives. Um, we are meeting regularly. We're talking to each other regularly. We have aligned the different uh, routines of our lives in such a way that it's not like we're, we're just piling on more and more and more stuff to do, but we're aligning the routines of our lives together more so that we're with each other more. And so we can ask the tough questions with each other and we can begin to grow and we can begin to preach the gospel to each other. And we don't just hear it here on Sunday morning. But we hear it from someone we're with just one-on-one. And we can build each other up and encourage each other. Now, Nehemiah, um, he practices something that is a, a little more difficult than encouragement. He admonishes. And guess who he admonishes? His own brothers. Now when I was sitting there and I was looking, I was across the room or across the table from my brother-in-law, I was talking to my brother. My own family. And then there, and my sister, my own flesh and blood, was, it was on her behalf and she was, she was there. That was difficult. She didn't like that. She felt attacked. It was making her feel uncomfortable. It was making her angry, even, at me and my brother and my stepdad for doing that. 
And I and I was not saying I wasn't just patting him on the back, saying, "Man, you've been you're just doing great," because he wasn't. I had to I had to tell him, "Look, this isn't right." So there are going to be times when we're in our community, our gospel communities, and sometimes it'll it you know it, it'll be a little painful, but we will have to say to each other sometimes, "This isn't right." What you're doing isn't right. What you are saying isn't right. What you're not doing isn't right. Now, I don't mean we just call everybody out all the time because we do this through our relationships, but it takes intentionality. You have to build trust with someone and then, and that takes time. And then you get, when you have that unction and it's the Holy Spirit and you're supposed to speak then that's when you don't shrink back you trust that this person needs that and then if you're wrong they can tell you you're wrong and then you forgive each other and then you're okay because you're family and you don't run away and say oh I got got burned you gotta want that in your life or you're you're not going to grow And Nehemiah knew that it wasn't going to do any good to build these walls of a city if this wasn't taken care of. And so he admonished his brothers. And he said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Now he didn't didn't just judge their hearts. See, that's what we like to do as Christians. We like to go for the jugular. I mean, we'll go for the inner... I knew it! You guys are greedy to the core. You know? He didn't do that. He judged their actions, though. He judged the things they were doing. Because the church does judge itself. And you do have to judge the things people do and things people say. But instead of doing that, instead of, ah, you guys have always been rotten, it's your fault. Glad I'm here to save you. He said, instead, he confessed. I mean, listen to this. Verse 10 says actually would you put that up I'm sorry just I just don't, I don't want to miss this this is important verse 10 yeah he says moreover I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money I and grain let us abandon this exacting of interest now I don't know to what extent he was involved but he did say let us and he did say, I and my brothers. And my, so I think he was benefiting a little from this, from the whole system that had kind of uh, been accepted over time. I, I don't think he was patronizing them. Let us, not really me, but... No, I mean, he said it because he meant it. Let us do that. So that's how we lead each other. That's how we disciple each other. Oh, by the way, I, I'm part of the problem. When you're admonishing someone, remember, you're part of the problem. Don't forget that. If you forget that, then you're going to become arrogant. The person you're uh, admonishing is not going to receive it. It's not going to bear fruit. And it's, and it's definitely not uh, a humble way to do it. And God, God opposes the problem. That's not going to work. So, always remember you're part of the problem. Nehemiah admits it. I was part of the problem, he says. 
So we're part of the problem too. So when we see things around us that are not just, these people are hurting, these people are in need, don't forget you're part of the problem. You're part of why they're hurting. You're part of why they're in need. How? I'm not directly involved. Yeah, you are because you're a sinner. You, you, you were born in sin. And you are corrupted. And you're corruptible. And even though you're being sanctified and you're growing daily into the image of Christ, that is only necessary because you're a sinner. So you're part of the problem if you're a sinner. Because that's the whole reason the problem is there. So we as a church are not going to be looking down our noses at things that we see in the city that seem to be wrong and say, oh, it's a good thing, good thing we're here because they are wrong. Yeah, we're going to see it. And I hope that it pricks our hearts and we get angry. But you have to remember, part of your anger needs to be directed toward sin. And that sin is in you too. You can't escape blame. That sounds like bad news though, doesn't it? Oh, we're all guilty. <laughs> but don't worry, it gets, it gets better. <laughs> because then we can genuinely repent. See, that's, that's part of the gospel. Some people don't see it that way. Repentance, it, it seems like, oh, that's the thing you do before you accept the gospel. No, repentance is the good news because God gives you a heart that's able to repent. And He changes your mind, transforms your mind so that you do repent. And so repentance is part of the gospel. Seeing your sin is good news because there's someone who took your sin away. So as Paul said, where sin abounds... Grace abounds. So that's good when you see that and you need to repent. You can actually be happy about that. You can take joy in that. Not in the sin, but in the repentance. (laughs) And the freedom from the sin. I always think of this song. I'm sorry to do this, but... This song from Ozzy Osbourne. I don't know what band it was at the time. But the, the, the lyrics say, No use saying sorry. It's something I enjoy. So, <laughs> that's not what I mean. I'm talking about godly sorrow. Kind that leads to repentance. <laughs> I'll put that in for Chase. Then they said, verse 12, Would you mind putting that up? Thank you. Verse 12 and 13. Then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. Well, I love this. Isn't that the answer you want to hear? We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. Hey, serious, man. You're going to swear. And listen how they swear. I shook out the fold of my garment and said... So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. That would be making me nervous if I was in the room. <laughs> he started saying that, you know. And he brought in the priest too, like reinforcements. So may, so may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. They, they actually said, Yes, let it be. Amen. And praise the Lord. So they took joy in their repentance. 
And the people did as they had promised. That's awesome. I love that. They praised the Lord. How do we know they really repented? Because they said, we will do as you say. We will... Um, you know, as, and it says, and the people did as, the, as they had promised. Well, how do we know it was really true repentance from the heart? Well, two ways. One is they did what they said. And the other way is they praised the Lord. They praised God. See, that's what godly sorrow brings. Now, an, a, a, you know, a natural, sinful, kind of ungodly wallow-in-my-guilt sorrow doesn't lead to praising God. It's not a lot of fun. You, you do it because you think you're going to earn. I mean, you don't see these people. They didn't wallow around on the ground and beat their chest. Whoa, is me. What can we ever do to repay? They just simply said. Now, I'm sure that they, they were because I know the Holy Spirit was involved in changing their hearts there. Because that's amazing. They said, we will. We will do as you say. God was, God was doing that. And, and, I, and so I know that there were probably emotions. That was probably a very emotional meeting. Probably some tears. Because I remember the meeting with... Boy, you know. That meeting with, with my brother-in-law. That was tough. There were emotions in the room. I'm sure it was an emotional thing. But then... They praised, they said, Amen, and they praised the Lord. I mean, they praised Him. And they acknowledged that it was Him who was doing it. We can praise God. Now, a lot of times we read the Old Testament, like Nehemiah and those Old, those old Testament books, and we don't think about that as much as being, um, we don't think about it, unless we're reading Psalms. Then we're like, yeah, it's all about praise. But, but when you read Nehemiah, you don't think there's a whole lot in there about praise. But look at this. We can praise God right out of this scripture. Because the curse, that curse that Nehemiah, he, he laid it out there. He, he spoke a curse over them if they, if they didn't do what they promised. That's what he did. But what did Jesus do when he went to the cross? He took that curse. Not just that curse. The curse of sin. The curse that came into the world in the fall when Adam and Eve first sinned. There was a curse. Jesus took it. So he took this curse. And, and he did it in a funny... It's interesting that it's worded this way. It says, so, he, so may he be shaken out and emptied. And that's exactly what Jesus was. He was shaken out. He was emptied. He was completely empty. He didn't hold on to anything. He didn't hold on to his life. He didn't hold on to his, uh, his place in heaven, uh, in paradise. He didn't hold on to his relationship with his father. He didn't, he didn't hold on to it. He let it go. He emptied himself. For us. And that was a promise he made. He kept his promise. So you can get really excited about that and praise God right out of Nehemiah. They praised the Lord. I bet that was an exciting praise service. Because some big, huge things happened. Some people got their fields back that day. Some people got their daughters back that day. 
Can you imagine how you would feel? I'd be doing some praising. And even the ones that were guilty of taking part of the usury and, and, and connected to that, they were praising God because they were free from that sin. And then they were all practicing forgiveness with each other. Like a community does. So they could get back to work again, building that city. That city that, that is on a hill that shines to the world. That city in a city. And that's what, that's what, that's what God's calling us to do. But I'm not a Christian, Kevin. So I don't, uh, I don't feel like I'm included in this. I don't feel like I'm part of this. What the heck are you talking about? <laughs> well, I mean, the, the whole idea of this whole city building, if you're not a Christian, you're coming in, why is he going on and on about this city and, and in, the, in the Old Testament, this historical thing? Well, they, I mean, there's a huge story. There's a big story in the Bible. And it starts from the beginning of the Bible and it goes all the way to the end. It's an overarching story. And part of it is that there was a city, Jerusalem, where there, where there was a people of God that God had chosen and brought to Himself so that they could show the world, this is who God is. God's revealing. He's revealing Himself to us. And say, well, that was back then. Yeah, but, but through that line of people that God had called to Himself, Jesus comes directly from that bloodline. He comes, and He doesn't come to, uh, to just pick out, uh, you know, to, to, to say, well, that I'm, I'm now king of the Jews, like only, but instead pour out His grace over the whole world, for, all, for, every, for, for the world. For people who, I mean, Paul says there, there are no Jews and, or Greek or male or female or slave or, or free. But, but, but we're all one now. And, and Jesus made that possible. And so that wasn't like an, an, an a, a, oh no, we made a mistake with, with uh, making just a Jerusalem and kind of being, um, you know, in and of ourselves. Uh, we better open this thing up. No, that was the plan all along. And Nehemiah is just part of that plan. And so his believing in the promises of God, he was believing the gospel, basically. If he didn't know that there was a, a, going to be a, a man named Jesus who would walk the earth, who would be God's son, he did know that there was someone coming, a Savior. He knew that. He believed it. So if you're not a Christian, guess what? This is for you. This, this little story is for you. Jesus can set you free. And He can change your heart. He can give you a new heart. And He can give you joy. His joy. And He'll be praising God. So 
So I want to read Second Peter, and we're going to close um, just after this. After I read Second Peter um, one uh, three through four, if you don't mind putting that up for me, Matt. Oh yeah, okay. All right. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers, I love this, of the divine nature. Okay, get this, listen. It, it, whether you're a Christian or not, just uh, you need to hear this. Partake, being partakers of the divine nature, that means you've got something, you've got someone in you who's helping you, who's helping you uh, do these things that he's calling us to do. Uh, you, you, it's not you can't muster up, uh, you know, all, all the the right attitude. You can't, yeah, we're told not to anger in our uh, sin and our anger. You, you don't have the ability to do that without that divine nature. So don't start thinking, uh, I'm going I'm to start being, you know, I'm going to start being a lot more compassionate. I'm going to start really paying, I'm going to really do this. I'm going I'm to, and, and kind of earn a better status with God. Because that's, really, that's not really what the promise is. It says, you can become partakers of the divine nature, His. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So you're really just a rescued one. Rescued by the real hero, hero who is Jesus. And so when you're reading the story, you were reading about Nehemiah. And now He, it says, answered the, the oppression. You're really reading about Jesus and how He's answering your oppression. And that's what we're doing with each other uh, in community. Is we are, we're really partaking in the divine nature with each other. Isn't that cool? I mean, that's pretty good news. That's actually really good news. Without, without this part, it, it, becomes, it, it becomes not so good news because then it's up to you. Now, it says partakers, which means that there's something we grab onto. There's something that we... There are things we will do. There are things... You know, uh, Nehemiah is not just walking around looking at the wall. He's building it. He's lifting the stones. He's doing things. But he's not doing it to be a hero. He's doing it to point to the hero. And he's doing it because of the hero. He's do, we can do the things that we do to meet people's needs to meet each other's needs, to admonish one another, to encourage one another. We can do those things because of what He did. Not so that He'll do, so that He'll keep His promise. No, He's already kept His promise. He's already done that. He emptied Himself out we don't, so that we don't have to be. So that little thing that, that little thing Nehemiah said, doesn't have to happen to you. <laughs> Now, uh, except for the, I guess you could say that as you're a partaker of His divine nature, you may have, you partake of the emptying out that He did, but, but you don't do that. He does it. 